welcome back. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. <laughs> this is gonna be a long episode. <laughs> everyone i just wanted to pop in and give a quick disclaimer before we start the episode we did get a new audio system and we're still figuring out the nuances of it so there's a little bit of weird audio in this episode please just bear with us we are learning it's all part of the learning process we hopefully will get it figured out for next episode and yeah all right enjoy the episode first guest and i'm very proud of you for pulling the trigger on this and i know you've been wanting to do it for a while so this will be a fun you. journey. You've been very supportive. Anna, actually, we had a conversation before New Year's, and she really pushed me to do this because we were talking about things that we really wanted to do. And I decided that I was like, you know what? Fuck it. We're doing it. Hell yeah. Why not? So for those of you that might not know who Anna is or aren't as familiar with <laughs> me, why don't you explain how we know each other and a little bit about how we became friends? So Liv and I met freshman year of college. We were on the same swim team together, and we weren't very close to begin with. I wasn't super close with the swim team, and, um, well, we can cut this part if it's not good. Yeah, we can cut anything. Okay. Well, I would always go to parties, and we'd be at the same parties, and i just, like, shit on the swim team. <laughs> talk about how much I did not like the swim team. Didn't really click with anybody, and... Um, I think you thought I was annoying for that. But then we just started getting closer at practice. Mm -hmm. And we got pretty close, I would say, after training trip in January was when we started becoming, like, good friends. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even remember, like, why on training trip, like, what clicked or what changed. But since then, two peas in a pod. Yeah. Inseparable. And yeah. It is funny, like, I think when you – have, like, your first impression of someone, you're, like, no way, Jose. Like, if you'd asked me back, like, when I first met Anna, like, she'd be, like, my best friend, and we'd, God, how many years has that been now? Yeah. Like, seven or eight years later. Yeah. I would have been, like, absolutely not, but, like, here we are sitting together. Well, in your defense, I wouldn't be my friend either, because I was very <laughs> annoying. I was just the classic freshman that got really drunk and was just annoying at parties, so we've grown and matured since then. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone is coming in freshman year. Like, that's a typical pattern, like, throughout college. Why don't you talk about a little bit about how, like, you chose to go to McAllister. And I know you're also from Minnesota, so it wasn't like you were going out of state. Yes. So I chose McAllister because it was the only school I got into, to be completely <laughs> honest. Kind of same. Um, I was not realistic, I think, with the schools I had applied to. So I applied to a lot of really tough East Coast schools that I got either rejected or waitlisted at. And then I even got waitlisted at my safety school, which was very strange. It was like, it was, um, I think, Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. And so I had never even wanted to go to McAllister, but my mom really wanted me to at least apply to the school. She loved it when we visited, and she just wanted me to, to apply. And so I did just to appease her, and thank God I did. Otherwise, I would have had to, I don't know, take a gap year or something, which wouldn't have been the end of the world. But 
I'm very glad in hindsight that I chose a school. I think it really helped me grow as a person, and I got a lot of very different experiences and that I didn't in high school. I mean, I've always been in um, very like white, homogenous communities of people, and so I think going to such a diverse school helped me grow a lot as a person. Was that kind of shocking to come into after being in such like a homogenous and yes. white? Yes, yes, it was. It was like... It, it blew my mind that there could be that many people of like different cultures and ethnicities in the one very small school. And it was really cool. And I remember the coolest feeling I had was like not being embarrassed about my, my background at being an adopted Chinese American. I'd never really like to t- tell people that when I was in high school, cause I just didn't want to be different mm-hmm. but coming to McAllister and meeting people who had such cool backgrounds and cool stories. I'm like, well, I want to share my story now cause it's pretty cool and it's not your average story. So I really love that part about going to McAllister helping me be more confident and comfortable in sharing my background. And before you gone to McAllister, had you had the opportunity, like you were involved in a lot of different clubs and different kind of like you did the dance k-pop dance and all Mm -hmm. that stuff you didn't have those opportunities I'm assuming like going to your high school or growing up as much I know your mom had a big emphasis on yeah like celebrating that culture but that was kind of a cool opportunity again to be around those kinds of people that also identified that way yeah it was very cool to get to join some cultural groups like you mentioned I joined our k-pop dance club at she killed it (laughs) I've always wanted to be a dancer, and so this was a fun opportunity to do. Uh, But I also found that I sometimes felt like I didn't always fit in with, like, the cultural groups, like the Chinese cultural groups, because I, while I am Chinese, I think I'm more culturally American, and I didn't share some of the same traditions or, like, cultural interests as they did. Oftentimes, they spoke Chinese to, like, one another. And so that was an interesting... um, paradox of like coming to college and like being around more Chinese people I felt like I didn't quite fit in with them either Mm -hmm. and so that's something like to this day I'm still trying to figure out like what exactly my place is or like where I feel most comfortable or how connected I want to be to my culture is there stuff you do now um in your post-grad life that you kind of do to celebrate that or to learn more about it yeah I would say I try to celebrate Chinese New Year with some friends. I like to cook some traditional Chinese dishes and have friends over and just hang out. But that's really the only one that I've done. Sometimes I feel guilty because I'm not seeking out like more cultural opportunities or ways to be connected to my culture. And like, it's not that I'm not interested, but well, maybe it's I don't know. I'm just so trying to figure out like again like what level connectivity I want to have to my culture but Chinese New Year is something I like to do with with friends that'd be fun yeah we haven't done it have we I think when we looked at the edition we I had some friends over to make dumplings oh yeah it was you me Ori and Levon it was like a random group (laughs) but that was fun oh well one of the other things like obviously that we share and is the reason that we became friends is swimming and that's a huge, like, athletics has been a piece of both of our lives and really, like, shaped us. Um, Anna and I swam three years together because I was a year ahead of her in school. Can you talk a little bit about your experience, like, with athletics growing up and swimming in college and kind of balancing everything? Because you swam pretty intensely like I did with club. Yeah. 
Swimming has always been a very big part of my life. I started competitive swimming when I was five years old. Have always swam on very competitive clubs year-round. Swam at a very competitive high school. And so I knew that I wanted to do it in college as well. But to me, academics was, was definitely the priority. Like I wanted to go to school where academics first and then swimming second. And that's what really excited me about McAllister when I met with the swim coach. Um, that, that was very clear where the priorities were. And she seemed like she her priority was about having fun on the team. And like I think after 16 years of – well, not 16 at that point. Like 12 years of very competitive swimming, I was kind of burnt out. Mm-hmm. And so – Coming to McAllister, I also never thought that I would get best times again. Like, I knew that the program was not nearly as intense as my club, so I kind of accepted the fact that I'd probably plateau in college. But I actually, my freshman year, got, like, best times right away. Um, And I think a big part of that was that I was having more fun. Mm -hmm. And it was just a different type of swimming. And so I really enjoyed swimming in college. I met you, obviously, and some of my best friends are from McAllister Swimming. And it, I know this is a cliche, but it really does, like, help you learn time management and being able to juggle a lot and teaches you, like, mental toughness, I think, is a big thing that you get from sports that you don't necessarily get from other extracurriculars and something that I've carried with me through my adult my adult life. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I was coming out of swimming knowing that I wanted, I obviously wasn't going to go D1. I was very realistic about that. Um, And I think all through like my club years, there was this kind of emphasis on like, you're going to the Olympics, you're going D1 and like this intensity around it. And I always knew that like my academics needed to come first because I wasn't Olympic level and like that's okay. There's different like levels to doing sports. And so when I was looking at, you know, different colleges, I also wanted that fun environment and I wanted to like fall back in love with it. And I think there is something to be said about you have to enjoy and be intrinsically motivated. If you're dragging yourself to the pool every day and dragging yourself through every set, like you're just, it's not, you're not going to have the same energy and like love for it. And yeah, I also came into college, like I'd done pretty good my senior year of um, high school, but I knew I had like more in the tank and I was, I was, I was like surprised because I was having so much fun. The team was super supportive, which was like another thing that I hadn't had to like high school swimming, like swimming for my school club was always like very competitive and Mm -hmm. I hated it. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I love the people that I swam with, but I just, I hated competing. Mm -hmm. Like I had a huge phobia. Like (laughs) I would used to like physically get sick and then I wouldn't go to meets because I was so stressed about like the competition piece of it. And I'm also someone that holds myself to really high standard. Um, So then, you know, coming off of high school swimming where I was like, wow, I had such a great community. It was so great to like find that for, you know, a team in college And it just makes you want to be at practice and want to be around these people. And I think fun is such an important thing. And I don't think it's, you know, I think you can have fun, but also like work hard and do well. And so Mm -hmm. I love the team. I mean, definitely, I feel like for my career, I was so happy that my senior year, obviously there was like a lot of change involved um, with the coaching staff, with the program and everything. But to be able to like end my senior year, as like my best season ever. Yeah. Not a lot of people can say that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're so your senior year and my junior year, we got a new head coach. 
and he did, I think he does a phenomenal job of mixing fun, but also like competitive competitiveness into his practices. And it's not all about yardage. Like it was in my club team. Like not, we're not doing six, 7,000 yards of practice. It's less yardage, but very much more intentional swimming. And every set there's something to focus on, or there's a reason why we're swimming that set. And I personally saw like a huge improvement in my swimming. Um, like I was doing big changes to my stroke junior year, which you kind of feel like sometimes when you get older, you're, it's too late to change up yeah. your stroke. But I learned the early vertical forearm, um, method and like just like a lot of really important changes came to my swimming with the with that new head coach and I think he's done a fantastic job of turning a program around and making the Calister like very competitive in our Mayak conference yeah and I think too I'd never had the like holistic view on my athletics like my freshman year of college was the first time I ever had had a nutritionist come and talk about any of that stuff And something I really haven't talked about is like my relationship with food or like my body image issues that I've had for a very long time. But I remember in middle school and even high school thinking that like I wouldn't eat before practice. I was like, oh, if I don't eat lunch, that's like, you know, a thousand less calories and I'm burning like 3000 at practice. Like I'll be even more in the negative Mm -hmm. and no one had ever really talked about or explained the importance of like fueling yourself and that you can't perform if you don't fuel yourself. Um, and so when we had that nutritionist come in, like that was just talking about nutrition and recovery and like making sure you're building your muscles and that you're, you know, feeding yourself the vitamins and the minerals that you need to perform. I'd never had that perspective. And then also having, you know, a professional strength coach Mm -hmm. and doing weightlifting in the gym. Like I feel like that elevated me so much as well with just my in pool performance. Mm -hmm. And we had, I think a sports psychologist too on hand to talk to. I don't know if he's still there, but that was a resource that a lot of swimmers used. Did you ever talk to him? Never one-on-one. I remember one meeting that we had. That was <laughs> I don't even remember what was so divisive about it, I but it, yeah. this poor guy, like we had a meeting. This is probably like your sophomore year, my junior year. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he came in and he was trying to teach us some lessons and it just turned into this disagreement yeah. about something. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember it got very divisive. <laughs> People were crying afterwards. <laughs> And so the poor guy didn't know what he was walking himself into. Yeah. I think that there was just, there was a lot of turmoil on the team too at that point. Yes. Um, But all those things are so important. I wish that I had had access to them at an earlier age because I think that it made me realize the yards that I was swimming and the times I was posting weren't like the, the entire thing. Like there's so much more that goes into it. That's really Mm -hmm. important. And I, I'm really proud of myself. Like, College is a lot. It's a lot to balance. It's a lot on top of school, on top of social, on top of, in my case, I was in a new state where I didn't even Mm -hmm. really know anyone. Um, And to be able to, like, continue to ramp up my abilities and, like, cut times down is really, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I look back and I think about, like, all that we would do in college, like you said, like swimming 15, 20 hours a week and then classes and studying and like jobs and internships and I'm like how the hell do I have (laughs) (laughs) 
how the hell did I have time for all that? Like, or energy, not time, but energy for all that. Like, that just seems insane now. Like, I stay up till 11 o'clock and I'm like exhausted the next day. So, I know. You were it absolute is. beasts. Well, now, you know, Anna and I have been talking about what our goals are for this year and our like side hustles. And I can barely do like one thing for <laughs> each of my areas a week. And when I was in college, yeah, we were swimming. And we were training in the weight room and then I had an internship and I had a job and then I had a full class load. And my senior year, I was doing my capstone. Yeah. I'm like, maybe my tolerance has just gone down. Yeah. Obviously, we're getting older. But but I think another great thing that we both took away from college being student athletes is like discipline. I yeah. think the ability to do something like without being having to be told to or like something that is I don't know, just something that you don't have to do in life, but, like, you should get done. I think it's something that you learn a lot as being a student athlete, and I see that trait carried over a lot in my adult life. Like, both of us wanting to do side hustles. Like, you need to have the the drive to do that on your own because no one's going to tell you you have to do it. No one's going to help you plan the actions you need to get there. And so I think that was another great thing that we, we took away from McAllister and being student athletes. Yeah, it's definitely helped. I think when I was applying for a job senior year and getting like advice on, you know, how to amp up your resume, a lot of people said, put it, you're an athlete on it. Like mm-hmm. a lot of companies really like to hire athletes because of that, mm-hmm. because you do have that kind of ability to just knock things out and to, you know, have a goal and know how to break it down and get it done. Yeah. What would you say was your favorite year of college swimming? I know it's hard because every year is so different. Yeah. a good one I think freshman year is fun and that everything is so new and novel and I had a lot of fun at our parties and I think I think the novelty of freshman year made it a good year but I also think junior year well there's a lot of drama on the team junior year so but it was also the year when I was like it was your senior year I think we were the closest we'd ever been I really liked that your your class, like the mm-hmm. senior class, was really great. So I'd say probably freshman year or junior year. Yeah, but they were all they were all great years. I mean, like I mentioned, there was there was some drama some of the years, but I think whatever did happen during those years like helped me grow as a person, and I just yeah still had a good time. Yeah, every year is so different with like yeah, the senior class. I don't know. I feel like my freshman year was definitely one of the top. I love the senior class. I've always loved being like the youngest because I'm the oldest in many of my areas. I'm the oldest sibling. I'm the oldest grandchild on one side of the family and almost the oldest on the other. Like I love being the youngest and those seniors were such good mentors to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally I owe one of them like the, the reason that I chose my major Cause I was going to go a completely different route. And she's like, Oh, I think you should really try psychology. I think you'd really like that. I literally like declared my major in psychology before I ever took a psychology class. That's awesome. <laughs> because I, I trusted her opinion so yeah. much. So um, definitely freshman year and then senior year, I would have to say because Killian and Wilson are the best coaches that I ever had. And Sophie that, just like my performance that year and yeah. my drive, which if you saw me at the first week, you were abroad 
but I thought I was going to quit. Yes. I remember you talking about that. The first day of practice, and I was a captain, so this was not, like, a great look. Yeah. I, like, hid in the lifeguard office and just, like, cried my eyes out. Yeah. I think it's very overwhelming when you're coming into a season and you know, like, especially this season, which was so different. There was, like, so much more commitment in the level of like time and practices. And it was very daunting because we were coming off like a coach that it was just a very different philosophy around coaching. Mm -hmm. And so it was just very overwhelming. And I really was like so overwhelmed by it. And yeah. then I had a lot on my plate senior yeah. or fall, but to think that like I almost quit and then to see where I ended at the end of the season, I'm really, really glad that I didn't. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of drama to your when you were captain. Yeah. So it was a tough year to be captain. But again, like think about how much we grew as leaders during our captaincy. That's a word. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it was I think both of us had tough years as captains, but again, we grew a lot as leaders and I'm thankful for that experience and the opportunity to be to be a leader. Ariel Ariel and I spent a lot of time crying together. Yeah. That was a great bonding moment for yes. our friendship. But I do think it taught me to not presume that I know what it's like to be in a position because I don't think people that weren't captains understood what it was like to be captains. And I know there's people that have become captains afterwards that have said stuff along those lines of why wow, I didn't realize like how difficult of a job yeah. that is. Yeah. And also to remember like you were 21 years old. Yeah still pretty young, still figuring out all your shit. And then you have people coming to you for like help and guidance. Yeah. But I remember, uh, one of the freshmen on the team when I was a captain came to me, I saw her like last year at alumni meet. And she said that she really respected all that I did as a captain. And I did not realize how hard of a job it was until she was captain herself but that she still remembers um, the impact I made on her when I was a, when I was a captain and she was a freshman. So that meant the world to me and made it all, all worth it right there. Yeah. I mean, it is like, you don't know all the ins and outs. Like when you're in a leadership position, there are certain things that you are dealing with that you're not going to tell other people for various reasons. And so until you're in that position, you're not going to realize it. And it is, it's really challenging. We're not also getting paid. Yeah. No. <laughs> For the amount of time that took up in my life, you know, emotionally and physically, yeah. I would be making some good money off that. Oh, yeah. What do you think was your favorite memory of, like, with me on, on the swim, swim team? G-rated <laughs> or PG-rated? Uh, I just remember, one memory that, like, always sticks out is, like, when we'd have swim parties and you would always try to Irish exit your way out of them. I love an because Irish exit. you had exit. some cooler parties to go to with the basketball team or whatever, and I would just beg you to stay, and, like, I would just always be like, where's Liv? Where's Liv? And Anna I has, like, a you. sixth sense yeah. for knowing when I leave. Like, yeah. 30 seconds I would have Irish exit. She's already texting me. I'm like, how did you realize I was gone this fast? Yeah. You were dropping it low in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and then also probably breaking the... 400 medley relay record yeah that was so fun i remember i didn't even realize that we had broken the record like everybody we had swam and then everybody was like so excited i'm like what are you guys so excited about maybe like, we just broke the record and that was really cool and also i think it was more fun because there wasn't pressure on us going yeah. into it. like we need to break this record we just did it because we were 
we hadn't really talked about it Mm-mm. as like a relay. No. Um, I honestly going into that session didn't even know that was like it within realm. Yeah. I think Kaya had kind of figured out the the numbers and that we probably could do it, yeah. but I wasn't even thinking about it. The funny thing is we got like six. <laughs> so all the other teams are like, like we were, we're like freaking out the team's freaking out and they're like wow like they're really happy for that sixth place finish or yeah. something but that was a really exciting moment and that's like the first team record relay record that had gone down in a while so the really cool thing too is the order of the relay went senior junior sophomore yeah no it didn't it went freshman sophomore junior senior yeah yeah, yeah. we had someone each year that um, was fun so that that was a really fun memory. I think one of my favorite ones though is for a while Anna and I swam next to each other in lanes and yeah. every time we'd like flip at the wall, we'd like look at like you. Each other. Yeah. That was <laughs> and then fun. it'd make me laugh and then I would like choke a little bit. But yeah. That was, was a good fun. time. How has cause I know this is a big thing, like coming out of you know, I swam competitively for like fifteen years, I'm sure similarly for you. Graduating all of a sudden is like and now what? Like, what do I do? So what has your kind of journey looked like athletically and physically mm-hmm. in trying yeah. to, like, you know, keep up an activity routine? But also you're obviously not swimming 25 yeah. hours a week. Yeah, that was something that I thought a lot about as I was nearing the end of my swimming career. I've never had to, like, work out on my own and, like, figure out a workout plan. And I've also, similar to you, have struggled with my relationship with food and I've had unhealthy eating habits and unhealthy body image issues. And so I was really worried about that when I, when I stopped swimming, like I'm still going to have the appetite of a swimmer for a bit, but I'm not going to be working out that much. And so it took me a while to find what worked for me. I went through phases of like working out really intensely, doing a lot of high cardio and then just getting burnt out of that. So then I would switch to like doing a lot of lifting but then I just kind of got bored of that. I would switch between going to the gym for like an hour, a couple times a week versus doing like 30, 45 minutes every day. And so I would say now I just do what like feels good to me and like what I want to do. I yeah. don't try to stick to a plan or stick to a number of days or a number number of hours in the gym. Like I just go when I feel like I want to go. And sometimes I have to push myself like – I'm just lazy and, like, I know I'll feel good afterwards. And so then I'll push myself a bit. But when I get to the gym, I'll just do, like, what feels good. If I want to lift, if I want to run, if I want to do, like, a YouTube workout. And so that's kind of the pattern that I've I found works best for me is just not forcing myself to do anything but just doing what feels good to me in the moment. When you graduated, did you feel pretty done with swimming? Or were you like, hmm, maybe I'll continue this in a master's? You know, realm, or were you like, no, like, I'm good. I'm hanging up the cap and goggles competitively. I would say I felt pretty burnt out by the end, and I knew I wouldn't want to do any kind of swimming for at least a year. But now I definitely miss it. I I would probably do Masters if, A, it wasn't so early in the morning. Like, it's at 6 a.m. So I have to get up at 5.15, which is not fun in the winter when you have to brush your car off with snow. And also, like, I don't have anyone to go with, like, So, I mean, you live pretty far from me, so we wouldn't do the same masters. But if I had someone to do it with, I think I would because I miss it a lot. And I'm coaching the McAllister swim team right now, actually. And and being in a coaching capacity has been fun. 
and it's been a great great way to be involved with the sport still in a different capacity but it doesn't scratch that same itch as like being a swimmer yourself do you feel like you get the same endorphins and adrenaline rush after no going to anytime fitness <laughs> no la fitness la for fitness your, for your information <laughs> um no and yeah. even like coaching when we had a really good mid-season meet back in december and like i think seven or eight school records were broken it was crazy and it was so fun and i got that endorphin rush a bit but it's not the same feeling as like doing it yourself yeah and even we just went on training trip in in florida and even coaching that like i kind of missed being a swimmer during training trip like it sucks it's really hard but there's something about that camaraderie of like everyone doing it together everyone doing these really tough practices it builds like this team culture and then you feel super proud of yourself for having done a really hard practice yeah and so like i was watching them and I'm like oh man i i miss the days of when we would we'd had training trips there was literally no better feeling than yeah. finishing a hard practice especially like an early morning one yeah and getting out of the pool like i just would i'm like that's the best probably i ever felt yeah pushing your body harder than you ever thought was possible yeah yeah minus like tearing all our rotator right that cartilage and right a hundred of hundreds and like ridiculous sets like that but i actually never had any shoulder injuries i know i never had an injury where i had to mispractice or i had to do any type of therapy or recovery i'm just built like a tank you got like a body of steel stomach of steel and a body Body, of steel yes that's what i always say (laughs) well um one thing i also really wanted to talk about is career stuff Because I think you've had a very interesting path (laughs) (laughs) post-grad, even within like college too, with choosing your major and then deciding pre-med and then deciding not pre-med. So talk a little bit about like your journey there and kind of like graduating is really hard. Finding a job out of school is really hard. So what was that experience like for you? I know it wasn't enjoyable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could talk forever about this, so I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. But I graduated in May of 2020, so it was peak pandemic, peak lockdown. Nobody was really hiring. And so I I had a neuroscience major, and I originally went to college wanting to be pre-med, got absolutely wrecked by Gen Chem, did not want to do OCHEM or physics, so I decided to not do pre-med, but I still wanted to work in healthcare. I thought. And so my plan after college, I graduated, was to get a job in healthcare. But I could not find a job. And I got reached out to by this like headhunting company that like recruits a lot of recent college grads. And I was like, I'll give this a we shot. We won't name them. Yes, we won't <laughs> expose them. But no free was, promo. It was awful. And I lasted two weeks. And then I quit that. And then couldn't get a job. So I worked at Target for a little bit, um, just like as a cashier. And that was probably one of the lowest I've ever been in my life. Like I was like, I seriously busted my balls for four years in college and now I'm working at target, which again, like no shade to them. Like it's, it was a great job. I I made money and I got to get a discount on groceries, but it was just hard as somebody, I had a lot big plans for myself and like what I want to do in a career. So I worked there for about, I think like four months until I got a full-time job working at a, gastroenterology clinic in the research department and we were running phase four clinical trials with patients and that was a very rewarding job like it was very cool to like see really sick patients come in they've tried everything on the market to try to help them and nothing's worked and now they're enter these clinical trials and they a lot of them saw really great results 
And so that was great. I did that for about nine months, but I had always had this itch to get into business. And I never took any business classes in college because I never had time with my neuroscience major. They didn't really offer any no. super business-focused. It was like, like economics. Um, yeah. But, like but no true business classes. And so I always had this itch and this curiosity. And so after nine months, I went to this company called Turnberry Solutions, which was like a consulting company. And I was a project management consultant. And that was, I was there for seven months, so not very long. Quickly, it's an IT firm primarily. And I quickly learned that IT is not the space for me. It just was not very interesting. It's hard to work on projects where there's no tangible product, at mm-hmm. least for me. And then my next job, I got a job at General Mills where I'm now, and I'm working in brand marketing, which is some a field that I never even knew of until I found this job posting. But it just looked interesting, and I went for it, and I've been loving it ever since I've been here for about almost two years now. One thing that's always impressed me about you is you just have this drive in you. You're just like, well, we're going to do it. Yeah. And I remember throughout all these job changes, because you had, how many jobs have you had since you graduated? Like I think four. This four. is my fourth, technically. So like count that two Four in four years. Yeah. Which is maybe a little bit more than like the typical person, but you've always had that drive in you. And Anna, we'd like go on these walks. We still live closer together. And she'd be like, okay, well, I wasn't going to tell you this. And like, I've been waiting. I got a new job. <laughs> and then like seven months later, she's like, well, I got a new job. Yeah. Like she just like absolutely springs it on you. Yeah. And I've just been like so impressed by your ability to pivot. And I think some people, because, and I can say this, I was one of those people get stuck in a job and they're like, well, I can't jump. I've only been there for a year and a half. Who's going to want me? I don't know anything. And I've always been impressed by your ability to just make the leap and at least like you might as well just try, right? You know, yeah. this isn't serving you and you don't need to stay in something that isn't. And I think there's this false like narrative, especially from older generations that we need to stay, you know, in our jobs for a long time. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the best way to get a pay raise is to switch jobs. And so I think I was very, I'm very financially motivated. And so if I know I can get paid more and do a job that I enjoy more, I'm going to go after it. And also I remember hearing this motivational speaker talk about how women often will count themselves out before they even like apply for the job. Like they'll see the requirements, they'll see that the preferred experience and they'll just assume that they're not qualified and they won't apply versus men are much more likely to apply for something where they're not qualified, but they'll just shoot their shot. And I, I love to embrace that mentality because you might not get the job, but at least you went for it and it's up to the company to tell you like, you're not qualified. Like you should never do that to yourself. And I've given that same advice to a lot of like friends and family who like want to go after jobs, but they're just not sure if they're qualified. I'm like, go for it. The worst they're going to say is no. But if you hadn't gone for that job, you never would have known if you'd gotten it and you never want to be the one to count yourself out. What's like your piece of advice you would give to someone that's, you know, second semester, senior year, they're looking at jobs. They're like, I don't really know what I want to go into. You know, I think coming out of a liberal arts college, it's sometimes hard to figure out how to pivot your degree, especially if you don't want to go into academia. Mm-hmm. What would be a big piece of advice that you would give someone in that space? I think the biggest piece of advice I'd give is to talk about your skills, like what you've learned 
either through as being a student, being a student athlete, internship, anything like the skills that you've learned and how those are applicable to the job itself. Like a lot of times, like any entry level role, you're, the employer will be teaching you like a lot of like the hard skills you need to know. And so they just want to know that you have the skills and the mindset and the eagerness to learn the job. And I'd also say another big thing that um, is very important when you're getting like your first job is like really strong interviewing skills unless like you take advantage of like the career center like there's not a lot of opportunities to practice that in in college but that was something that I wanted to get really good at because you don't have a lot of experience when you graduate college and so you have to be able to talk about the experience that you do have in a very compelling way and you're again like those interviewers are usually going to judge you based off those that that 30 minute conversation you've had like they're not gonna know your background or who you are as a person so you really have to be able to sell yourself and have good interview skills in those 30 minutes what's something or like a resource or a suggestion for someone that wants to build their i know you use star yes the star method is a classic interview method um for those of you don't know it's like whenever you you get asked like a behavioral question you want to interview you want to respond in a star format uh it stands for situation task action result and then a little twist that i like to add at the end that i learned is to add in um, also what you learned from that experience and so i think that has set me apart from a lot of a lot of candidates and i've been told i've had a really strong interviewer and that they specifically like that piece i add about what i learned from mm-hmm. that experience but in terms of resources for like becoming a better interviewer, honestly, TikTok is really great for yeah. all those Gen Zers out there. Like I see a lot of great snippets of career advice on TikTok. But then for any student, like utilize your career center hub or whatever you have available. Like I didn't use them a whole a whole lot, and I wish I had because it's a free resource and probably the only time in your life where you're gonna have access to a free, entirely free resource for career development. Yeah, I think especially for those of us that are coming out of schools that are highly ranked and highly competitive. And you're kind of told throughout your four years that you go here and your future is just guaranteed. You're going to walk out of these doors and the jobs are just going to fall at your feet and to have the reality of that kind of shattered. And I think that's a lot of people's experiences Mm -hmm. where it is important. Like you still have to know how to sell yourself and market yourself, especially coming out of college without experience um, I think a lot of people really, really struggle with that because you kind of in this like insular place where everyone's telling you you're so great and everyone mm-hmm. is really high achieving. And it's not to say that you aren't high achieving, but I think that, you know, it is so much how you come off, how you interview, how your resume looks. And I don't think the weight of like looking and saying, oh, you went to McAllister. Well, here's the job. Like, I don't need to know more. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like jobs are becoming increasingly competitive with more opportunities being remote and like that just expands the number of candidates that they can interview and that they are they're looking at. So now they're not just looking at people in your area where like McAllister is one of the best colleges in like the Twin Cities. Like now they're looking at people from the East Coast and mm-hmm. the West Coast. And so it's gone a lot more competitive and that just has emphasized the need to stand out and through other ways. Let's talk negotiation. Oh, yes. <laughs> My favorite topic. Um, what have you learned now that you've had, you know, a handful of jobs 
about negotiation? What are like some tips that you have for it? And just a pep talk you'd give to someone. Cause I think a lot of people, especially coming out of college are like, well, I don't have anything to offer. So why would I negotiate? I just want a job. Yeah. Well, my biggest tip is that you should always negotiate your offer. No reasonable company is going to rescind your offer if you ask for more money, especially if it's just a reasonable amount. Like it maybe if you're asking for 20, 30, 40 over. But I think always negotiate. I, my first job, I didn't negotiate because I was worried about the fact that they might rescind my offer, which I had no reason to believe that. But it was also during the pandemic and I was just grateful to have a job. But if you think about it, employers are not going to offer you the most that they are going to pay, that they want to pay or they can pay. Yeah. So you, it's on you then to ask for, for more money. And I think one of the biggest tips that I have for myself is that I utilize is to like write down very specific reasons why I deserve more money, whether it's I've done market research or I'm, I've done X, Y, and Z that's outside of the original scope of my responsibilities or I've, I've gotten really positive feedback from these people and I'm operating at a high level. Like those are the, I think having specific concrete examples of like why you deserve a raise is going to be a lot more convincing than just telling your employer like, oh, like I really want one. Like I work hard and just being vague. They need like reasons to believe why you should get a raise. Yeah, I think that's really important. They're going to want to like hear all that stuff because they have to eventually go to HR too. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're the ones with like the money and their and their ability to mm-hmm. do that all the time, at least in my experience. And so I think that's like really good advice for people. Um, on the topic of finance, because I know that's something that's also a big passion of yours. Um, <laughs> just to like some context and to preface this all, I have felt very lucky, you know, coming out of college, I had a friend, shout out Brett, who was really interested in personal finance. And he also was really interested in like sharing that information with a lot of us. And so I feel like I learned a lot of things like a lot earlier on than you might otherwise. I don't know where else I would have gotten this information from, I guess, TikTok, but that wasn't really like as big as it was because this was Mm pre-pandemic. And this is certainly not stuff that like you're taught in school or even that, you know, my parents are like always been good with finances, but it changes like philosophies change, strategies change. There's technology advancements that change, you know, how you should do things. So tell me a little bit about, I know Brett was a big reason that you got into finance, but what that journey looked like and why it started to interest you. Yeah. So I did not know much about personal finance graduating college. Like my, it's just something that was not talked about in my family investing, like saving, like how to budget, like that's just never talked about. And I guess it's also goes to show that I, I've, I've been very fortunate enough in life to not have to like worry about money. But then when I graduated, like I was entirely on my own. Like I'm an independent adult. Like I had to figure out how to get a car because I, I didn't have a car, but I didn't have any credit either because I never had a credit card, I didn't have student loans. And so that was the first time where I like, was really stuck. Like I need a car to get to work, but I don't have any credit. And that's when I really wanted to look into personal finance. And also, yeah, shout out Brett. Brett, he was the one that shared that book that with me that changed my life. It's called I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. Also, Ramit, if you're listening, you can sponsor me because <laughs> I recommend your book to literally everybody. We'll tag them in the comments. Yeah. Get that affiliate link going. <laughs> 
But that was the best personal finance book. It was everything was so easily read, easily to understand, um, laid out very well. And so that was the first book I read, and I read it twice actually, which I never reread books. And then I couldn't get enough, and I started reading other personal finance books, and just got really interested in this in this topic because it's so important to every person, but not every person has had the same learnings or understanding of it growing up and they don't teach it in schools which I think should be taught like it's easily one of the most important skills that you're going to need everyone's going to need as an adult and so I just wanted to I had this desire to like learn as much as I could to make sure I was setting myself up for success otherwise it doesn't matter how much money you make um what kind of job you have if you're not using your money responsibly and and making sure you have money going into all the right right places. What was, do you think, the first thing that you implemented after reading? I got a credit card, my first credit card, which was exciting. It was a Discover card um, that had a very small limit, but that was exciting to get my first credit card. And then probably a high-yield savings account because mm-hmm. I had never heard about that. I still had a savings account with my little mom-and-pop bank. Um, from where I'm from. So a high yield savings account was a big thing for me. I will say too, the book that Anna's talking about, there's actually a journal companion to it that um, Sonia, my sister got for me. And it has been also really interesting working through that because I think I actually read it before you. And then you were like hanging out at our apartment. Yeah. Um, Cause I basically lived there with you guys. Context. Anna was dating my roommate or started dating my roommate at the time. Um, but the journal has been really interesting and it's kind of made me realize and throughout the years as I've learned more about personal finance, like how much psychologically it is like, it's not just about, you know, your budget sheet. Like there's so much about like how you're raised and your mindset and your behaviors and how your brain works and maybe more unhealthy tendencies. Is there anything that you learned about yourself? Like psychologically that, you kind of had to work through with your Mm -hmm. own personal finance. Yeah. I mean, to go back to what you said, like money is psychology. Like people use, people spend their money not rationally or think about money in irrational ways. And so just knowing that everyone's experience with money is different has built a lot of empathy when I try to help other people like improve their circumstances or help improve their personal finances. But for me personally, I actually struggle with the opposite of most people in that I'm very frugal and I don't really know where it came from, but I really struggle with spending money and not feeling guilty spending it. And I just want to hoard it all away for retirement. And so the first couple of years I was putting like maybe 40% of my income into like I think it was like 30% I was putting into investments, 20% to savings. And I left me with like barely any money because I wasn't making a whole lot after college. And something I've been trying to work on is setting aside money that I have to spend at the end of each month and like enjoying the money I make now because your future isn't guaranteed. Like obviously everyone hopes to live a long life. And if I do, I'll be set up well, but also it's not guaranteed. And I need to enjoy my life now and enjoy some of the money that I work really hard for now. And so that's a balance that I really want to 
work on for 2024. That's one of my money goals. I think for me, I, I don't struggle with the frugality as much, but one thing that I implemented in the past few years that has really helped me is having, like you said, like a guilt-free pot every month, Mm -hmm. because I think it's hard to walk the fine line of trying to budget, but then, you know, I'm, I'm a very like intense person. I want to do everything a hundred percent. And this is how I was with, you know, weight loss and fitness and everything. It's like, well, if I'm going to do it like this much, why wouldn't I do it double that much? And then it would like, I get to my end goal faster. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important like everything else to have balance. And by having like my guilt free pot of money, I can walk a fine line between, I know I'm budgeting and I know I'm hitting the like boxes and checking them that I need to for like my future but I'm also not limiting myself so much that I'm like you know it's like extreme dieting and then all of a sudden you like binge because you have restricted yourself so much yeah absolutely and one of the favorite things that I learned in Ramit Sethi's book is that like being smart with your money and being a good budgeter is not about cutting costs in every single area of your life and trying to pinch pennies everywhere it's about figuring out like what really matters to you and spending money on that and then cutting back on things that don't really matter to you. And so I, something that's been helping me spend more money is like figuring out like what, what do I really care about? Like what is really worth it to me? And for me, that's travel, but I was barely spending any money on travel. Like if I look back at the past few years, I was spending maybe like $1,500 a year on travel, which was, is not, a lot considering I don't spend money on anything. And so for 2024, I've set a goal where I want to spend about 10, oh no, I think it was 5%. I can't remember the exact number, but a percentage of my take-home pay on travel. And I've got my trips planned out, which I'm really excited about. But to me, that's what matters. I don't, I'm not huge into like clothes or eating out or like things like that. But travel is where I I do want to be very intentional with actually spending my money. I think that's a good point. I think a lot of the traditional budgeting systems are kind of like a one size fits all for people. And what I also really liked about the book and I really liked about the journal and all the exercises, it it makes you think through like what is important? What does your dream life look like? What are the things that you, you know, want to do without having to think about how much they cost and how much money? And that looks different for every single person mm-hmm. like I know you love travel you love food mm-hmm. you yes. love like I'm foodie going and see for me I'm not that way at all yeah. like I could care less about going to like a nice meal and that's just not where I want to put my money but it's different for every person and it's important to figure out that stuff for yourself mm-hmm. because yeah you might do that generic budgeter where it's like oh you only have a hundred dollars a month to eat out but maybe you're a foodie and you love eating out and that makes you really happy but there's another area that you can cut back in that mm-hmm. isn't as high a priority for you. Wait, what do you like? Close. Close. Okay, <laughs> that's right. That's what I thought. I just wasn't sure. Yeah, I would yeah. say like you do have a lot of clothes. Oh, I I love fashion. I love makeup, which is funny because I don't really wear. Yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> as I sit here with my grout thing, <laughs> I also yeah. I don't know. Like I. But you I, thrift. Like you're really good at finding great pieces from like Goodwill. So yeah. like I don't think you have like a bougie. No. clothes taste you just you love clothes and every time i come over you have like 10 bags of things you're giving <laughs> away i'm like how this is my whole wardrobe like how are you giving away all these clothes i love a good deal too it gets me going yeah we uh, both love a good deal I, especially on clothes but i've always loved like yeah fashion and beauty those are kind of my areas 
but in thinking about like this year and my goals, I kind of feel like maybe that's changing. Maybe those aren't the things that really bring me the most happiness. Mm -hmm. Like they're very immediate. Like, yeah, I love going out and being like, Oh my gosh, I just got this new sweater. It's so cute. But then how long does that last? And does that really fulfill me? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I see you wear new stuff a couple times and I never see it again. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I also think that like working from home. Yeah. Has changed because I just don't really wear like the cute outfits I used to. Like yeah. if I have an important meeting, but the reality is I want to be comfortable. Yeah. I know. I think comfort was a big thing that came out of the pandemic. Like people just value comfort more in fashion. Yeah. And I think too, now as we get older, we have more discretionary income. I also want to be like buying pieces that are higher quality that I'm going to wear more. Mm -hmm. And like, that's okay if they like, cost more mm -hmm. but doing like a cost divided by how many times I wear it because I, I definitely love a good deal <laughs> and then I'll get caught up in like oh my god this shirt is five dollars but am I ever really gonna wear it or yeah. it's like so trendy is it, yeah or, is it cheap and I know we've also talked about this but just the aspect of trying to transition out of college style yeah like all of our going out talks. yes I still like to hold on to mine some of mine for those very few rare nights where we go to like a real bar but I am asking myself, like, when am I too old to be wearing crop tops? I know. And I was <laughs> going through my giveaway bag and I had, like, this classic black crop top shirt that I wore to so many nights out. She's like, why are you getting rid of it? Yeah. Like, I just, I feel like I'm too old for it now. But I also think I'm a big advocate of, like, wear what you feel comfortable wearing. I think one of the reasons why I'm, I don't want to grow up is, like, I don't want to have to, not that I don't dress modestly, but I don't want to have to dress a certain way because, like, I'm, I think I'm too old for a style. Like, I think you just wear whatever you feel comfortable and confident wearing. So if it's that, those crop top tops and <laughs> your tight leather jeans, your BDSM jeans. My BDSM. I don't have those anymore. That's all Sonia. Um, those slate, I love those. I just, I don't think I am comfortable anymore, though, in that. It is okay. funny because I, I do feel like even when I wear like a short dress now, I'm like, oh, am I showing too much yeah. skin? Which like five, six years ago, yeah, I would have been like, oh, this is a long dress. I mean, modesty can be hot too. True. Those Mormons really rock modesty. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for us to be in Utah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We're going to Zion this spring and it should be a, a good trip for Anna. Yes. She loves a good Mormon I'm so interested. influencer. I'm so interested in like Mormon culture and like the Mormon influencers specifically. And I always joke like, oh, I want to go to Utah and like see the Mormons. And my friends are like, you're, they don't, they look like normal people. Like you're not really going to be able to tell, but. You're just sit you on I the sidewalk. I think some of them you can tell. Some of them definitely dress like a certain way. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what we see. It's going to be uh, interesting. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be able to, like, point them out. but No. And we're going to a pretty touristy area, too. So I don't know how many, like, there might be a lot of, like, other people from, from other parts of the country visiting. Yeah, probably. It is funny, though. But, yeah, I just feel like my style's changed a lot. And I think comfort is, like, number one for mm -hmm. me now. Like, even when I go out. But I do think I, I still love fashion. Like, I still, that's something I really enjoy. I just... It's hard to balance that and to balance like not spending a million dollars on clothes all the time because mm -hmm. styles are always changing. Yeah. Which is why I love thrifting stuff. Yeah. 
I agree. And I'm trying to get good about like not buying trendy stuff because trends inevitably come in and out of fashion. Yeah. And then you're left with stuff that you're not you don't want to wear again. So like whenever I see something that's trendy, I try to figure out figure out like what can I what version of that can I buy that will always be timeless? So that's like right. still a little bit trendy, but not totally. And so I agree. Like I'm trying to buy stuff that I'll wear for a longer amount of time and buy stuff that's of higher quality too. What's a item that you've bought for your wardrobe that you would highly recommend that you that you wear a lot? Oh, besides your knee highs, your oh, knee high boots. I love my knee high <laughs> boots. My knee high boots that come out. Usually twice a year, I try to find a Halloween costume where I can incorporate my, <laughs> my knee highs. I get creative. One year I was a, I was a slutty Mike Wazowski. Hey, whatever works. <laughs> whatever works with the knee highs. Uh, I got a pair of black denim jeans f- that I really like. They're like kind of flare, but like not super flare. Where it's like more trendy. I think they're just like they'll always be in style. And they're really comfortable, too. So whenever I find a pair of jeans that are comfortable, I will hold on to them forever and recommend them to everyone. So probably it's hard to find jeans that fit. Yeah. We're both yes. we're both thick leg ladies. Yes. Yes. And I'm very, I'm short. So, like, it's hard to fi- I find clothes that, like, are big enough for me, but not also too long. Yeah. No, I feel that. Especially having a, a thicker rear. <laughs> <laughs> Your dump truck. Um. Yeah, it's it's hard. I love Abercrombie stuff. Like that's yeah the, the best jeans that I found that fit me. But I'm also a little bit taller, so you have to like throw in the tall and the the muscular thighs and yeah. all that kind of stuff in it. What's something that you bought recently that will be a staple in your wardrobe? Ooh, that's a good question. Besides the sweat set. Honestly, I have been wanting like a good basic T-shirt, and I feel like because I have. Literally, I'm shaped like a triangle on top. <laughs> I have very no, broad not. swimmer shoulders, and I'm very muscular. And so T-shirts sometimes just look like if they're not fitted in a certain yeah. way. And I just got a like T-shirt from Abercrombie recently that it just I feel really flattering in it. I feel yeah. flattering. It flatters me. Yeah. Um, and I because sometimes if they're too loose, then it just looks like a box. Yes, and then I look like a line. Yeah, and yeah. then if it's, like, too tight in the shoulders. Anyway, also the crop thing. Like, I am taller, and so when stuff's, like, cropped and then it's, like, really cropped yeah. and doesn't fit well. So the Essential BBT from Abercrombie. Ooh, that's a good one. 10 out of 10. I love it. Um, One last thing on finance, because you are the guru. I ask Anna oh a lot of <laughs> finance stuff. Well, you consume a lot. You've learned a lot. Yeah. You've had your own business. Oh my God. We, we can delve into that on a different, yes, a different podcast, all the, the good, bad and ugly of that. But what is like three things someone could do today? You talked about a high yield savings account. You talked about getting a credit card, which I guess is more personal to if you have credit or not. What are a couple things that are really easy to implement now that would make a big difference? Um, high yield savings account. I know I've already talked about that, but that is a huge one. Um, basically you're going to get a much higher interest rate on the money that's in that account versus a traditional savings account. And so like right now I think I have the Marcus by Goldman Sachs savings account. I'm getting like four and a half percent interest on that money versus a traditional one. I think is more like one, maybe 2%. So more than double, uh, interest, which is basically free money. I would say number two is investing. Everybody should be investing for their retirement, no matter 
like I think once you're 18, like you can go ahead and open up your own investment account. But the power of investing is like compound interest and like time. And so I have friends who don't make a lot of money and like they don't feel like they have enough to invest. But even putting like 10, 15, 20 dollars in a month or whatever you can afford to do or what you feel comfortable with is going to add up over time. I promise. So investing is a big one. And then I think number three would be, we talked about it earlier, but like figuring out what you love to spend your money on, like what you don't care about and use that to shape your budget. I think that a lot of people think that being good with your money means like being frugal in all areas, but that really is not true. And it's just going to lead to a lot of unhappiness, which I have like experienced firsthand in the early days of trying to budget. So figure out like what you care about and put your money there. And then whatever you don't care about, like find ways to save and, and scale back there. Yeah. Like what are your financial values? Yeah, absolutely. I think specifically with investing, just a follow up question. Cause I think there's a lot of really confusing stuff around it, especially coming out of school and you have maybe your first opportunity to have a benefits package. If you are in a job and you have a 401k and you also have a Roth and you have a personal investment account, like how do you know where you should put that? What's like the best way to prioritize it? Yeah. So that's a very good question. If you, what I would do, the number one priority would be to contribute towards your 401k if your company matches um, that's basically free money that you are going to get from the company. So I always contribute as much as I can to get the match. And so my company will match up to 6% if you contribute 8%. Or it's like a weird, a, weird, a weird rule like that. So I contribute 8% of my salary to my 401k. And then the next account that I will invest in is my Roth IRA, which is another retirement account that you own. It's not through your company and that one I always encourage people to contribute to because there is an income cap where after you make a certain amount of money, you can no longer contribute to it. You're not eligible. And so I like to try to contribute, um, max that out while I can, while I'm below that income cap. And then the third one, the third, if you have extra money left over to invest more, that's awesome. And you're way ahead of the game. And I would say just like a general investment account that's not tied to retirement so, like, if you have a long-term goal of to buy a house in, like, 10 years or, I don't know, some other, like, your kid's college retirement, your kid's college fund, I would say, to do, put that into a general investment account. Well, kid's college, you can, there are special accounts for that. So, I wouldn't put that in a, in a normal account. But for any long-term goals, I would say are past five, six years, put in a general investment account. Yeah. Um, I think it's also important to say this is not official investing advice because yes. I feel like that's illegal. Yeah. But this is just like what we do. No. I know yeah. for like me personally, my first job out of college, I did have a 401k. And then now at my curtain job, I'm contract. So I don't have one. So I have a 401k that I rolled over from my old job. But for me, because I don't have a match uh, through my company, I max my Roth. That's like my number one priority bucket. Mm -hmm. And then everything else goes into my personal. So it really just depends on like what your situation is. Yeah. And, but definitely if you have the ability to get a match, you want to get that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, we are not personal finance by <laughs> training or education. Don't come for us, IRS. Yes, please. This is just like what we have done that works for us, what we've heard. Or just general advice. But definitely do your own research. 
and figure out what works best for your situation. I think it is important though to like share. I think transparency is Mm -hmm. becoming more popular around finances and pay and stuff. But especially as women, I always like find it really empowering to share that and to have other women share that with me because knowledge is power. And also there's, is a pay gap and there is a knowledge gap even with the men and women investing. Yeah. So all really important stuff. Um, the last thing I want to do as it is January and it's a new year. Oh God. Um, what are you about to ask me? Some hard hitting questions. No, I just want to ask you some questions about like in reflection of last year and then like looking towards this year. Anne and I talked about our goals already, but, um, I just wrote down some things that I, I'm kind of curious about. So, as it is the new year, what's one thing from last year that you are really proud of or the thing that you're most proud of? Oh, the thing I'm most proud of is buying a house with my partner and not only buying the house, but the fact that we bought a house like six weeks after we had come out of another very traumatizing real estate experience, which we will talk about in a later episode, but after that experience, we were just so traumatized by real estate. But this house that we bought is a triplex that we got off market and our realtor knew the seller and it was a really great deal. And we were really scared to pull the trigger on it because we've been burned by real estate before. But I'm really proud of us for looking at the numbers and like being able to think about it rationally and not emotionally and realizing this was a really great investment and, and doing it. So that's what I'm most proud of in 2023 i love it what are you most proud of shadow bab Ooh, most proud of i think um really taking my mental health seriously and a part of that is like conversations i've had with you and other people in my life that have been super supportive but not gaslighting myself and allowing myself to get help Mm -hmm. and admitting that i like need help yeah and i think that's important i was really struggling with not wanting to go back on medication, yeah. which is honestly stupid. I don't know why, you know, but I was so set on like, I can deal with it myself. And I think you said to me, you're like, you're not living, you're surviving. And that was really like profound mm-hmm. to hear that. Cause I was. And so I feel really proud of myself for working on that this year. There's still obviously like more stuff to do. And I think my priorities are like how, I will always prioritize my mental health, but like how I prioritize it looks different this year. Mm -hmm. But last year was definitely getting the medical like drug help that I needed. And I feel like I'm in a good place. Like winter usually is a really hard time and like I'm doing really well. And so I'm proud of myself for working on that. Yeah. I mean, this is the happiest I've seen you in a while consistently. So it's obviously working and I am very proud of you for, prioritizing your mental health I think it's easy to give that advice to other people yeah but then when it comes to yourself like I've experienced that when it comes to getting help for myself it's like oh like I'm more hesitant or like I don't take my own advice so it's one of those things where it's easier said than done yeah absolutely and it's scary Mm -hmm. and I'm always if you know me like I don't go to the doctor unless I'm dying (laughs) yeah so um I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm that way, but I, I just am. And so to do it and to go seek out help, you know, I was like, okay, like I need to stop ga- gaslighting myself because mm-hmm. I, I did feel like I was dying in a certain way. Like I was really, really, really in a bad place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that. I'm, that's what I'm proud of. 
Um, what's one thing that you surprised you last year or something you did that you surprised yourself? <laughs> oh, I want to say the buying the house again, but I already said that. I think probably following through with coaching. Yeah. I had talked about coaching the McAllister team for like probably three years. Like I would say I would do it and then like I wouldn't. And so that fact that I like really followed through with it and I have enjoyed it so much. Yeah. I'm not being paid. I'm entirely in a volunteer. And I thought I would think about that fact more when I'm thinking about how much time I spend with the team. But I have truly enjoyed it so much and want to keep doing it um, next year. And so that's something that has surprised me is how much I have enjoyed it. Yeah. As and a volunteer. You know, paid despite like all of the stuff that we went through there, I am really proud of you for doing it. Yeah. Because you do like have such a passion for the sport. And mm-hmm. I think um, coaching it's just, it's completely different. Like you, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a good coach just because you're a good swimmer mm-hmm. and you swam and had so much experience with coaches. It's, it's hard to like translate that. So, yeah, so I'm really absolutely. proud of you. And, um, I love seeing you on deck, even yeah. on like, I look on the live the streams live when stream. I can't make it to the meet and Anna's These, down like, there, like clipboard, my stopwatch looking all professional, but I just know like, I would love to have you as a coach because oh. you're just like so caring and passionate and I know like different people react you know to different kinds of coaching styles Mm -hmm. and I think your coaching style would have been really good for me and it also meshes really well with the coaches that are you know Killian and Wilson Mm -hmm. yeah I think we all kind of have our coaching styles and we're all a bit different but we fit really well together as a as a coaching staff I think it also just made me really proud to be an alum especially with everything that the team has been accomplishing lately. Mm-hmm. It's just so exciting to be yes. an alum, but to like, have you go back there again is, I don't know. It's kind of vindication for. <laughs> stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But it's Last like, no one standing motherfucker. Yeah. Like <laughs> you can say all you want and like have your opinions, but the amount of time and the amount of commitment and energy that you've put in to not get paid mm-hmm. just shows like, your commitment to the team. Yes. And like, I think that's like point blank period. Like yeah. to all the haters. Like, Hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> One of the swimmers always says, Hell yeah, brother. Uh, that's funny. Um, what is one thing f- that you want to continue to grow this year? Uh, I want to grow as a person in that I want to be more patient. I, I've always struggled with being an impatient person. And I think that's gotten worse, honestly, with TikTok and like watching all these short, short form videos. I have like no attention span or patience for anything like over a minute. So I just want to be try to be more patient with myself, with my partner, with my friends and like slowing down a little bit in life and knowing that not everything needs to be done the most efficient way possible. Not everything needs to be on time or rushed or, I mean, you can just, you can enjoy just living. Like I don't need to rush through the grocery store to get home. Like going grocery shopping itself can be an experience. That I like do what I enjoy. So yeah. just slowing down a bit and enjoying, enjoying um, the present more and not trying to get to the next thing all the time. Yeah. I like that. 
I think I'm also very much like a box checker. I'm a list yeah. maker. I'll make lists of my lists. Yeah. And so, yeah, being present and like slowing down. Yeah. Because I, I also sometimes like the patience thing too, right? Yeah. You're When you have all these things you need to do, you get stuck in this like, I need to do this, I need to do this. Yeah. And there's not enough time in the day. And like, why is this person driving so slow? Like, yeah. are they an idiot? You know, or like this person's moving so slow and check out, but we're just living. Yeah. Like enjoying oh, the moments. Slow bangers drive me crazy. I was the world's fastest bagger when I was at Target. <laughs> People always tell me, like, you're the fastest bagger I've ever had. Like, I would get through, like, double the amount of customers. <laughs> so I'm like, move over, bitch. Let me take over. But I didn't get commission. Yeah, that'd be sick. Do you know there's, like, actual bagging competitions? There are. Yeah, because um, the neighborhood grocery store <laughs> I was growing up always had, like, the national champion. <laughs> That's amazing. I was so good. I was so good. Not going to lie there. I love that. Um, my last question. Now that this spring will be four years out of college what is your like biggest takeaway or lesson learned it could be in any area like thinking back in the last four years of like who you were when you graduated and like who you are now I would say my biggest takeaway is that you never know where life is going to take you and the best thing is to be open-minded about new experiences um new places new people I think I never would have imagined that at like four years after graduation I would have like started and stopped a real estate business and bought a house and have done like four different jobs and I work in like marketing which is so different from what I ever thought I would do and so just being really open-minded to like where life can take you and not being stuck in your plan which for me was like something that was, I always envisioned a plan for me in college about how I would be pre-med, that I'd go to med school, I'd be a resident, I'd be a doctor, like I had it all laid out. And so that totally went out the window and I stopped being pre-med, but just being open-minded to what the future has in store. And also just surrounding yourself with really good people. I mean, they say that you are a combination of the five closest people in your life. And like, when you graduate college, like you have to be more intentional about spending time with people. You're not, you don't have all your best friends around you. And so naturally your friend group is going to get smaller, but to hold on to like those people that you really enjoy having in your life and who make you better people. Yeah. It's really important to have that friend community when you graduate. What do you think you get from me? (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot of like, like deep talks. Like I Mm -hmm. really enjoy that. We can talk about anything. Yeah. And I just feel so comfortable around you. A lot of good laughs. Um, You're just like, I love that you make me like want to be a better person. Like you are so selfless and like have one of the pure souls around. Oh. So I just, I love everything about you, Libby. Oh, thank (laughs) you. I think when, I don't know, it's weird because time has flown by. Like if we met in 2016, it's been almost four years. Eight. Eight, sorry, I meant eight. I meant eight, guys. Guys, I we're stuck in 2020. <laughs> I meant eight. <laughs> um, but just thinking through the different phases of life we've been through. Yeah. Like, we've been through a lot. A lot. Ups, downs, It also feels downs. like just yesterday that we met. Like, I can't believe we've been friends for eight years. It's flown by. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm proud of you. Like, thinking back on who you were then and who you are Thank now, you. like, you have done so much in eight years. And yeah. I can't imagine what the next eight are gonna hold oh yeah 
So lots more memories. Thank you for coming on my podcast and yeah. for being the very first guest. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. I hope I get to make some more appearance appearances down the road. For sure. And I think it's so fun to be able to like have this to look back on. Yeah, and I think this to. will be really fun. So, so everyone go like, subscribe, follow Livy Lou because this podcast is going places. <laughs> thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.